You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. It is really good to see you all. For those of you who I've not met yet, my name is Peter. I'm part of um, leadership team here at York City Church. And it's my pleasure to add my welcome to you, um, particularly if this would be your first time amongst us, or you're a guest or a visitor. Perhaps you're considering things about the Christian faith, and this is the first time you've been to church. Well, you are most welcome with us. What we're going to do over the next 20 minutes or so is we're going to be looking at the scriptures together, and this is going to be the introduction to a little series we've got going on over the months of May and June, um, called Faithfulness on the front, front Line. The graphic and the creative credit all goes to Mark Alty. Um, so what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months um, is that there's going to be a team of people that are going to try and um, describe to us and encourage us and to exalt us to what it means to live as faithful people on the front line. And we'll delve in today, my aim today is to delve into what, it, what we mean by faithfulness and what we mean by the front line. So as we go through these things, there'll be different things that we pick up, um, but my faith is that throughout this series we would get to see and to know Jesus, that we'd find our faith and our love for him on the increase, that we'll find ourselves equipped by his spirit to be his people here in this world in these days, and that ultimately we will see people who currently don't know Jesus become Christian and to declare him as Lord. And quite excitingly, halfway through this series, we have the opportunity to baptize some people, which I'm very excited about. So, my job today, hopefully, if I do it well enough, we will have an introduction to what we mean by faithfulness and what we mean by people who live on the front line. And to provide a little bit of an anchor for our reflections this morning, I'd like to read to us Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those dwell who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient dawns, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let us pray. Jesus, we declare you as Lord. We declare you as the King of kings, the one who is worthy of praise and adoration today. We ask you, would you reveal yourself to us 
by your grace, may we know who you are, and may we find ourselves empowered by your spirit to love you, to see you, and to be those who you have called and set apart today, we pray. Amen. So the start of this psalm declares the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world, and the the word whose, look, let me start again. The, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. There's this statement the psalmist makes that all that we can see before us is the Lord's. He has this divine, sovereign ownership of it. Every corner of the earth, every creature that inhabits it, be that from the smallest insect to the mightiest lion, God's ownership is over it all. But not only are they under the ownership, not only are the earth's the, 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 all the things are his but he takes care over them he's strong and he's mighty in battle and the psalmist links this sovereign ownership to the care of the creator in creation the grandeur of the mountains the vastness of the oceans the beauty of the for- forests are all under his rule and all witness to him but it's more than just some sort of mother nature something that lives inside the trees and makes them grow. God is sovereign, and he's willing to fight a battle for them. He is the king of, of glory. God somehow, sovereignly, causes the sun to rise every morning and to set every evening. He causes the trees to grow. He causes the birds to sing, and they all declare witness to one who's not inside of a tree but stands outside and ruling and reigning somehow every atom on earth vibrates with the glory of who he is often and i count myself in with this this psalm gets used around things like seasons of giving where everything is god's therefore we can give it back to him i've stood probably here and made a similar point myself that the fullness of the earth is like the harvests or the crops or the money. And therefore, brothers and sisters, because it is his, we give back to him what is his. But there's more than that at play here. The fullness of creation, the fullness of the earth we see before us is full of God and his sustaining power. He made it and he keeps it full. It's his sustaining work for us. So the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But when we look around, often we see brokenness and hurt and pain. Often we see things that don't quite add up to what you would see to this sovereign God playing out his fullness here on earth. You only have to tune into the news to see desperate situations around the world and you may have experienced desperation and pain and brokenness firsthand yourself. So what does it mean that the earth is the Lord's when we see things that we don't like? What does it mean to have also though a Lord who is mighty in battle? Mark last week did a eight points, eight reasons for giving in eight minutes. I'm hoping to do the whole of creation history and God's redemptive story in five. So don't tie me though, because I've not practiced. So we will see. P1, 
Pete Roderick's up next week, and he's got three minutes to do something. So we will see. So the story begins with God creating the heavens and the earth. He separates the light from the darkness. He makes land and sea. And he spends time populating the skies with birds, the fish in the sea. He populates the land with animals, and he declares its goodness. He sees the joy in creation. He then forms from dust man and woman. He makes humans in his image, and he declares his work very good. And we see what it truly means for the earth to be the Lord's. In this snapshot, in this beginning, we see the God dwelling with his people. He walks with them in the cool of the afternoon. We see his presence made known to humanity. But yet quickly we see how disobedience enters the world. We see separation from man and from God. We see sin and we see brokenness enter the world, disrupting this perfect harmony that was there. But the earth is still the Lord's and everything in it and the fullness thereof. And he does not give up. He calls a man Noah and he says, build an ark. And Noah, by faith, builds an ark. And we see that through Noah, God makes a covenant promise with a people to never destroy the earth and flood it again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And then we see him call a man, Abraham. He says, leave your land and go to a land that God would show him. He says to Abraham that your descendants would be numerous and they would populate the earth as the stars fill the sky. And we see Abraham leave his land And through Abraham we see, through some messy times that we will come on to shortly, God delivers on his promise. And through Abraham, through Isaac, and through Jacob, through the call of Moses, through the deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt, when Pharaoh looks like he is king, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We see the one who stands mighty in battle. The one where Egypt gathers all of its miracles and magic, we see the one who delivers his people. We see God's redemptive work in his earth. He declares his sovereignty over it. We see the people leave through the Red Sea. We see them enter a time in the wilderness. We see at Mount Sinai, God declares with Israel, the nation, his people called out that this is my people. And he gives them the Ten Commandments of what it looks like to live as though the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We see God's people led into the promised Land, and we see conquering it and glimpse of a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. We see through the establishment of judges and kings through covenants with David that his dynasty would be forever and the Messiah would come from his lineage, the one that would save us from it all. We see even through exile and through return. We see through pain and through prophets. We see through his finger, the fingerprints of God throughout creation. He declares that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Even through disobedience, 
We could easily have told the story through the disobedience of his people. We could talk about Abraham taking uh, Sarah's servant to try and fulfill the promise himself. We could talk about David. We could talk about Israel as they're receiving the promise of the Ten Commandments, making an idol to worship. But God does not give up. And in fact, as we see in the start of the Gospels, God becomes flesh, enters creation, perfection. We see him live through temptation, through the desire to be drawn out into disobedience. But we see his perfect love for the Father, his obedience to him. We see the kingdom of God breaking out around him. We see people who couldn't see uh, seeing. We see healings. We see the miracles of God and we see the, prun- prun- the pronunciation of forgiveness from him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the fullness thereof we see breaking out around Jesus. And then as we see through his trial and through his crucifixion on a cross as he's lifted up and crowned king, we see the true king of glory before us made broken for us. Yet death did not defeat him and he rose in newness of life. Was that about five minutes? Probably about five minutes. I've got more. So, and we see in this newness of life, he ascends to the Father and he pours out the Spirit upon his people. Now we too caught up in this story of redemption, of God's declaration that he is the Lord of the earth. He is the king. He is the one of glory. He's the one that's willing to fight the battles for this place. And he is not given up in the face of disobedience in the face of temptation when he's tempted in the wilderness and he says I'll give you and I'll give you kingdoms in this earth he says I am the Lord the earth is mine but we here today we enter into that lineage that story that people of God set apart and chosen nation chosen group to display what it looks like to live as though the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And over the last 100, 200 years maybe, we've probably entered one of the most absent periods in Western culture of the presence of God. This secular age that society has kicked God upstairs, who, who God has no place in society, that God has no place in, on earth that religion is okay as long as you keep it to yourself, as long as it doesn't affect me. And church has become minimized to a hobby. I play football on a Saturday and go to church on a Sunday. Or it's seen as though it's something that's slightly dim people do to be religious, to try and deal with some stuff. The church, brothers and sisters, is the glorious body of Christ called out to be his representatives here on earth, to look upon a people and to interact with a people to know what God is like. You speak mildly or apathetically about the church at your own risk. This is what God is doing here in creation now to declare to all nations, to all peoples, to every tribe and every tongue that he is Lord. So therefore, brothers and sisters, as we embark on this season of faithfulness, 
on a front line. That's the story. That's our heritage. That's who we are. Therefore, this battle that has raged from almost the beginning of time rages still now. And we too get to say, who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle is our cry as well. This is our front line, brothers and sisters. I want to ask you, therefore, a question. A simple one. There's a harder one coming up. Where do you spend the majority of your time? Where do you spend the majority of what you do? Where do you spend the majority of your energy? Where do you spend the majority of your thought? For a very small and moderately select crew of people, the answer will be here in the Citadel. Mark, I imagine you spend a lot of time here. But for the majority of us, this will not be the place that we spend the majority of our time. We might spend it in workplaces. We might spend it at home. We might spend it in hospitals. We might spend it dispersed around this city and further. We might spend it in looking for jobs. We might spend it being a parent. These are our front lines, brothers and sisters. We're called together to be the church. This glorious group of people filled with his spirit. And week by week we meet and we worship him for no other reason than he is worthy to be worshipped. But God also disperses us around this city, around these nations, to display something of his goodness. I want to be very clear to us that your front line is not restricted by how well you think you're doing, whether you're the CEO of the company or whether you would consider yourself unemployed matters not in this time. The earth would say the CEO, the successful one, the one that can make real influence, God would say we're all called to his front line. It's not restricted by your employment status, by your relationship status, by your health, by your age, by your gender. God has called us out and set us apart. By his spirit, we are his. I want you to reject the world's view of your status being determined on a set of criteria that other people have decided. God has paid a price for you, and he loves you and calls you to purpose. So what would it look like? This is an open-ended question. What would it look like for the kingdom of God and the declaration that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof to come in your frontline place? What would it look like to see that bursting forth with new creation, with new life, with hope and with joy? What would it look like for the enemy to be forced to retreat, that you stand in his way and declare the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? We're called to live in that place, to be ambassadors of his, of reconciliation, of proclamation of good news of living out of kingdom values to declare what it looks like to live under his, to speak love and to speak the truth and to speak justice and compassion. Through our words and our actions, we reflect God's redemptive purpose. And here's a second question, maybe a third, depending on how you're thinking about it. Second in my notes, so anyway. 
Second question is this. I want to pose to you two scenarios. The first one, you had no sleep. You woke up loads. Perhaps your son had an earache, like mine. You've had an argument, perhaps with a friend, perhaps with your spouse. Perhaps your children have not listened to you. You've jumped in the car. Car doesn't work. Or perhaps you got on the bus and the bus was late. You've got cross and you go to work. And there you are. Second scenario is you've slept perfectly. The best night's sleep of your life. Someone can describe that to me at some point. But you wake up feeling rested, eager to start the day. And you start the day with a moderate study of Ephesians or similar. (laughs) Just have some quiet time. You pray. And then you jump in the car. No traffic. Delight. (laughs) And you get to work. I want to ask you, which one of these scenarios do you feel like you'd be better placed to be an ambassador for God? Which one of these scenarios do you think you'd be more fruitful? Which one of these scenarios do you think God may use you more? I want us to consider what we mean by faithfulness. I want you to rest on that question and we'll return back to it in a second. The psalm goes on and says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and swear deceitfully. It'd be very, very, very easy in a series like this where we're encouraging you to be faithful and to believe and to trust in your everyday life for God. It'd be so easy for the conclusion to be work harder, try harder, just do a little bit better and the result's going to be amazing. At no part in human history did our performance with the absence of God go well. Abraham gets old and gives up. David takes Bathsheba. Adam and Eve seek disobedience. Moses up the mountain and Israel makes a golden calf. We see exile and we see through it, but yet there's only ever one who has remained faithful throughout the one who's tempted in the wilderness, the one who throughout history could have given up and started again. He is the one who is worthy to stand in the holy place and ascend the hill of the Lord. This series is not a call to somehow work out a magic formula to just have a little bit better of a morning and all will go well. To suddenly become perfect, to suddenly become sinless, to suddenly become a way of doing life that just cracks that formula and you can tell everyone about it. That's the call to become a little bit more religious. To try and work out a way of doing things that gets God on your side so he might do something cool. The call is for his merciful grace yet again to transform you. to understand his unfailing love for you, to understand his faithfulness throughout all history, to understand that his love for what he has promised and his commitment to see that come to its fullness is better than your best idea or your latest way of doing life better. The world does not need, brothers and sisters, more religious 
people. The world needs more people captivated by him and transformed by him to find his heart transplanted into theirs, to find the love of God overwhelming them day by day. Just as Chris read earlier from Isaiah 61, Spirit has anointed me to bring good news. Religious people give good advice, right? Do this and your life will be a bit more successful. Take that job, things will be better. Give up that job, your life will be better. If you do this, your health will just improve that bit more. The world doesn't need more good advice. The world gets plenty of advice from plenty of different corners. The world needs this good news. That's what Isaiah prophesies. That's what Jesus reads from. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The poor don't need more good advice. The poor need the good news of one who gave his life for them. That in the middle of their storm and in the middle of their trial, in the middle of their difficulty, he is Lord, that he loves them, that his grace is sufficient. That in the midst of health problems, in the midst of battles, in the midst of trials, he is still faithful to who he said he would be. Not that if you just think about it a bit more, you might make a better better, uh, out of your situation. The good news is is that whilst I was still far off, he died for me. That he has transformed my deadness, my way of Adam into his life in Christ. That he's not given up on me and he's not given up on this world. He's not given up on your workplace or your home or your neighborhood. He's not given up on your community and he's not given up on your friendship. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you better believe that his resurrection life is bursting up and breaking out in your place too. So therefore, let's return to those two scenarios. In many ways, it does not matter. It does not matter how good your morning was. His grace is sufficient. His ability to work, his ability to show goodness to people, his ability to lift them from the depths of despair does not matter about your performance or whether you feel good in that moment or not. Now, do I think that we should therefore give up? Obviously not. But what is important is that this is what faithfulness looks like, brothers and sisters. His faithfulness to his people and his commitment to the end. I want the conclusion from every time we open the scriptures together in this season is that God is faithful to you. Not that you have to work more or do more or just be this bit better. He is faithful to you His grace is sufficient. So don't count yourself out. He gives you dignity. If your life is tough at the moment, he gives you dignity in your place. He called you in this moment to be his child. And don't think that you have to get everything sorted out, that I'll spend the next year, two years, three years, sorting out everything, every one of my problems, and then God will use me for greatness. He is already great, brothers and sisters, and he cares deeply about who you are and what you're going through. And in the midst of his kingdom coming around you, you will find release, and you'll find freedom, and you'll find uh, healing and his kindness. That all points towards his return one day when he wipes every tear from every eye. So in this season, brothers and sisters, 
want to call us to understand his faithfulness and to lift our eyes therefore and believe. He promises that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And in that chapter in Matthew 16, he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Lord. You are the Messiah. You are him. And he says, on this rock I will build my church. The declaration of Jesus being Lord. And the revelation to him that he is Lord. Therefore, and I'll wrap up here, our declaration that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, our declaration of Jesus as the one true king, our declaration that his grace is sufficient for me, allowing his transformative work to happen in you, I believe that God will continue his faithful work again. He's promised it. We sang it earlier. His promises are yes and amen. So I invite you in this season, participate. Fight off the urge to just become more religious. Fight off the urge to just do something more and trust and believe him. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters here this morning. I thank you for your redeeming work in their life. We thank you that the goodness of God has been made known. We declare you as Lord. We declare your faithfulness. And we ask us by the kindness of your spirit to empower us again. That we might primarily love and worship you more. That we might see your worthiness again. And that we ask, would you build your church here in this place? May we find our workplaces and our homes and our neighborhoods transformed. May we find the places where we rest our head at night, bursting, with the, bursting forth with the knowledge that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Amen. 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 That is the end of our meeting tonight. Prayer meeting is not tonight, even though you may have seen it in a... In a, in a graphic at some point, it is next week. Good. We'll see you all soon.